0: Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, I met up with Priti Abani, who works as the Innovation Director for Tech Futures Lab. We talked about the three key skills to have an innovative mindset, empathy, diversity of thought, physiological safety. We also talked about her passion for sharing economy and how that have followed her from early on in her career. nice to have you here. You have quite an interesting background and I was wondering if you can give us a little bit of an introduction.
1: Hi, I'm Priti Ambani. I'm the Director of Innovation at Tech Futures Lab. Um, My career started in civil and environmental engineering. Uh, I'm an engineer by education. Um, uh, I was born and raised in Mumbai. Uh, I went to the States to do uh, my master's in uh, environmental and biological resources engineering and uh, it was a, a really like any engineer's career would start off it was uh, you know 40 60 hour weeks working across a number of large infrastructure projects doing really cool things um, at that time um, but then there was a there was a, a time in during that phase but I felt like is this it um, is this uh, you know where I'm going to you know, continue to spend my professional life and um, it sort of struck me that there's so much more that I could do but I didn't quite know what that was and so this was the year 2009. Uh, Neil, my first one, son, was just a uh, couple of months old, I was finishing up maternity leave in the states, and I figured, look, this is this is the time. I mean, what is the legacy that I want to leave my kids? Um, and let me let me explore my potential. And so that was this time I literally started working, um, you know, dipping my toes into a whole host of different things. Um, I wanted to leverage my career and my education in environmental engineering into a whole new business sphere um, so I started working with a number of um, environmentally focused nonprofits. Um, and then sort of dabbled my way into sustainability and triple bottom line and how businesses can actually leverage um, this kind of thinking to not only create sustainable businesses but nurture society and nurture the environment um, so while I was sort of exploring the space um, I was writing for this blog called the Ecopreneurist, which was um, an environmentally focused blog uh, that encouraged new business models business models that um, helped businesses and people thrive but not at the cost of the environment. Um, so I started out I managed that site I grew that uh, you know grew that uh, uh, that blog and, and website and I, that was a way for me to exp- express my thought leadership. I did a whole heap of research, talked to a lot of people, and I was slowly trying to formulate my thinking around uh, how businesses could operate. Um, When I was doing this, uh, a lot of different innovative tech startups that were sort of blossoming at that time in the States um, contacted me. And before I knew it, I suddenly found myself among these startup teams, formulating strategies, doing different things. These were businesses that were at the cutting edge of the internet economy, Um, you know, again, this was, you know, 2009, 2010 timeframe, and we were just beginning to realize how amazing the power of the internet is, where we're not just consuming the internet, but actually creating collaboration, creating value on the internet. Um, so, you know, I saw this rise of um, network powered businesses, you know, these initiatives that leverage the power of people. So crowdsourcing, open innovation, um, uh, crowdfunding that simply um, harnessed the minds, the pockets, the resources, the talents of many and the Internet made it possible. So. Um, I became deeply involved with a number of businesses that had this new model. So this was the this was platform economics. This was uh, you know platform business models that that where businesses did not have to create all of the value themselves. Um, that was a simple notion. You know you could um, connect person here, you know person A who wanted uh, something, and a person B over there had that resource that they could share. So you know this led to this whole. Um, uh, Context around the sharing economy, the collaborative economy and things. And I really had an opportunity to um, develop expertise around this whole new way of thinking, new way of doing business. Um, and uh, it was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, this was a time I was still living in the States. I was working across uh, projects and startups that were really um, location independent. So these were businesses in in Europe, in South America, in Asia. Um, And I was truly living the future of work. And, you know, hindsight 2020, no one was calling it future of work 10 years ago. Uh, But it was phenomenal that we were using all of these collaborative tools and we were creating so much value. And these were small teams, you know, teams of three, five people who could do a really like a humongous amount of impact, um, and that was the power of the internet. So, I was literally living all of this. Um, I realized I didn't have to be, you know, you know, staying in one place. Um, and uh, this just gave you know birth to a completely different mindset. Um, I had a portfolio career. I could pick the projects I wanted to work on. Um, and but at that time, I realized that not many people understood that. So you know, for instance, my friends, um, my fam, my own mom and dad used to be like. What exactly do you do? I mean, it, it was really that notion of one job being there, nine to five, uh, and coming home, and then doing family things. And now, I, you know, at that time, I just felt my, my, my work life and and passions um, almost all collided. And it was never, you know, you finished work and then you did you you lived the rest of your life. It was very much intermingled. And um, yeah, I was. And then looking back, actually, it's quite. You know, ahead of the times because no one else was doing that. And I found it, it was a bit hard to sort of explain this. That why am I doing this? Because I really couldn't even point to, hey, have you seen this article on Forbes that talks about how portfolio careers are a thing? Because was I? No, that was not part of the conversation then. Um, so it was almost like um, a bit of an imposter syndrome. You know, I saw all my friends doing the same old, same old, and was I lesser off than them? But no, I was. You know, I was actually. Um, I think at the start of this amazing sort of career that uh, has been carved, leveraging people, leveraging um, mentors, leveraging a whole ecosystem of amazing people, and
0: great. So, uh, tell me, what does your work involve for the Futures Lab?
1: Um, so, what do I do at Tech Futures Lab? So, uh, I'm the director of innovation, and what we do is we work with businesses, um, and we help them really rethink about their biggest, what they think is their biggest challenge, and we help them reframe that into areas of opportunity. Um, we work with them around their innovation capability. We work with them around their innovation potential. You know how, and that's a sort of a common question, right? I mean. Um, look, Preetil, I want I want our business to be more innovative. Where do I start? And it's really around um, your people. You know, what what are you in the business of? You know, where is the opportunity? How are you thinking about your business? Um, where is the opportunity to kind of go beyond the current competition and actually play in an uncharted territory? Um, so we help them understand um, understand that nav- You know, develop a cu- and cultivate a culture of being inquisitive, curious, um, you know, explore, exploring um, and also trying out and experimenting on ideas, like trying out specific ideas in and de-risking uh, that for business. Um, so our, our work really is about helping um, businesses thrive and it starts with people. So it starts with how can we leverage our people to their full potential? How can we leverage their innovation capability? How can we, um, you know, understand the context where we are operating in? Because there's so much change happening from a technology point of view, from business models point of view, from demographic shifts. Your customers are changing. Mm-hmm. How do we unpack all of that? How we you know what is the context to business X Y Z, um, and then we we sort of literally start from there and we start taking them through a journey on. Okay, if this is where you are what might be a future vision for your business and we help them gain capability. And our approach is not to um, just be a consultant. Our approach is to build capability in the teams so that they can continue that cycle they can go and they can be the champions within their own business so we have that approach because we Tech futures lab we have the we have that education research backed approach to the way we we work around innovation um, and the whole idea is to embed that capability within teams so that they can continue on that journey and keep rinse and repeat because innovation is not a one-time one-time exercise it's a it's an ongoing thing that businesses do and so it's um, it's a great opportunity to work with some some amazing businesses across New Zealand uh, and that that sort of moment when they realize that wow they can harness that people potential that's 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 why I come and do what I do so um, it's a it's an amazing amazing um,
0: uh, opportunity and um, experience to do that. You are such a great example of how we look at the workforce today and like um, what I think we'll be seeing more about in the future as well. You are not only one thing anymore. You wear many different hats all the time from being, you know, an engineering to a teacher to an innovator. Yeah, I think just, yeah, you're just such a good example.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, um, when I did this and I sort of tried to do this, what, 10 years ago, there was really no go by. There was no one, there was nothing that I could say. Actually, you know what? I want to do what she's doing. Um, so it was a really hard journey because there was so much doubt, right? I mean, I pay left a high paying engineering job, which uh, enabled me to work with the likes of Walmart and um, the, you, you know, Sam's Club and Costco and all of these big companies and accounts that I was managing, and I kind of left that and without seeing the sort of, there was no clear path. I just literally had to build that path that was really um, hard and I, I feel like I'm always and because of that experience I feel like I'm always a work in progress yeah. I I don't know if I'll actually say that this is it yeah you just keep on adding I just keep adding layers um, and so many people you meet just adds on um, the richness of whatever you learn right because I couldn't be what I am without all of the people who have sort of you know the giants whose shoulders I've climbed on right and all of their insights and not. Knowledge and um, influence has helped yeah. shape who I am. And it will continue doing that because I think that's what I value the most.
0: Yes, and is that how you would describe Your way of harness innovation.
1: Oh, you know that is, you know we have so many definitions of what innovation is, and I absolutely think I think innovation is continually improving to get the best value of something, right? And uh, and you can sort of put it in my sort of personal framework. You know, what is your personal innovation strategy? Is to to learn, and to put yourself in new situations and among new people and people who look differently from you who do different things and learn and that's kind of what businesses do right because it's uncharted territory you go there, you dip a foot in, you try it, you see if it works. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it works. And then every time you have to keep improving. And you're never that same version, right? You're not this, no no company, no product, no new thing is the same version of when it was launched, right? It. And so that is sort of the same philosophy with, with ourselves as well as uh, businesses or organizations or whoever that might be who's cre- trying to be relevant and trying to be Uh, impactful um, trying to be do they you know harness their best and fullest potential Mm -hmm. so I think it's you're absolutely right I think that's that's my approach to innovation Mm -hmm. is to yeah just put yourself in that slightly uncomfortable position because that's when you learn yeah
0: You know, we're almost halfway through the new year um, and a new decade. What do you think is some of the things that we will be remembered from the last decade? And what are you hoping to see more of in this new decade?
1: You know, Suzanne, this is really interesting. Now that you say that, I feel like I just told you, right? My son was born in 2009. So this decade that has just finished almost was a reinvention decade for me. Mm -hmm. So if you just kind of think about that, this was a decade and it took 10 years to actually, you know, kind of just. And like I said, I'm still a work in progress, but um, it took it takes time to kind of just do that. And I, I feel like that for me. Is that reinvention decade with respect to our society with respect to where we're at as from a point of view of a human race of you know where we progressed as society i think I think we did a lot of things. This decade was impactful for us as a race as well, mm-hmm. you know, which is fascinating. Uh, like, you know, the technological progress we've seen in this decade, the changes we've seen, the impacts we've created or, uh, you know, we've um, we've made on the environment has been phenomenal. Like it's been unprecedented. So I feel like this, year, this decade in many ways has been... Massive for our planet, for our people, for our society, um, and there have been a lot of mistakes because we've done things for the sake of doing things. We've pushed boundaries. We've pushed um, what we can do as a species. We've pushed pushed intellectual capabilities, and I think in all of that, um, there has been. Um, There has been some hollowing out of values. There has been uh, massive impacts to our environment and biodiversity and um, our habitats and ecological balance. And I am very hopeful that this next decade is about fixing some of those things. You know, it's whether, yes, we've pushed technology. We know what it can do. We're seeing some really hard impacts of that. That's not necessarily what we signed up for. Mm. Uh, But we didn't know any better. In some cases, we did, and we still went ahead. But I think I'm hopeful this decade is when we actually realize we can start undoing some of that damage. Because honestly, we don't have a choice. This decade is it. our planet Mm -hmm. you know what we do now is is pretty much all the time we've got and so i'm very much hoping we turn the page and we've reached the peak of our rashful behavior as a society and we now are considerate in our models and our approach and our thinking in everything really i think this It's do or die, (laughs) you know, without sounding um, too, um, I guess, negative. uh, I I see opportunity in that as well. Like I see this opportunity for us to really rethink how we do things. And I'm always up for that challenge. So I'm the eternal optimist. I think we can and we must and we have to start.
0: So looking at the last decade and this new decade, do you think technology is going to be the solution to to how we solve some of those big problems? Great question.
1: Um, You know, I'm always in sort of two minds around that. Um, I think technology is only as good as the enablers, that is us, right? And so we completely, it's up to us how we define it, how we use it. You know there's this is almost sometimes I hear this um, this this philosophy of thinking that, oh, technology is going to progress and then this is going to happen and this is going to happen. almost like technology is its own organism or it has its own mind, which is not really the case. We have the complete authority to design and, and define the, the way technology impacts us for good, right? So it's, um, yeah, so I feel like we, we just need to take a step back to see um, if technology is going to be part of the solution, definitely yes, to answer that, that question. Uh, but I'm not, I also think we need to look behind to look ahead. We almost, you know, need to see what, what do we do right? in, you know, the older generations, the, you know, the people who came before us, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, who um, had a different sort of sense of um, their life and, you know, how they integrated their lives with um, their communities and the environment. I think there's a lot to learn from them as well. So I'm I'm a technologist and I work in technology. I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of that. But I think we can also look behind to seek those models which we can then help use technology to, to move ahead so that's kind of where i am I'm, i am I want to look behind and i want to look ahead yeah. so it's um or i want to look behind to look ahead because you know i just come from uh, the school of thought that Uh, You know, there's there's a whole heap of um, really like ancient knowledge. We're not leveraging that enough. Uh, You know, here in New Zealand, we have um, the ability to understand the whole kaupapa Māori philosophy and thinking. Uh, And instead of it just being sort of superficial, we have the opportunity to actually go deep into what are those um, the ethos of kaupapa Māori, and how can we really bring that into our practices, really embed that into our thinking. Similarly, I'm of Hindu origin, and I, you know, I I see a lot of practices in um, uh, in Hinduism around the way of life, how we live with society in harmony with nature, in harmony with um, uh, the ecosystems. And so, I think there's a lot to learn from ancient knowledge and ancient cultures. Um, So I'm I'm really excited about bringing that into focus and leveraging technology to to actually make that knowledge more prevalent and so that one it's not lost. And second actually is there's a lot in there to help us find the path forward. So
0: Yes, you learn from your mistakes but also from our history. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I think there's so much there. It's um there's so much ancient knowledge and wisdom uh, with what our ancestors did. And um, I think it's time to go back and, and uh, you know, re-look at, lo- look at what, what's in front of us.
0: What has been some of the biggest mistakes or failure that you have done? Oh, there's too many. We can talk uh, forever on that. Maybe a better question would be, what have been some of your biggest learnings? learning. Oh yeah, actually there's loads. Um, I think, you know, some of the
1: some of the biggest learnings have been around, um, you know, things that I have missed in terms of um, empathy or things that I've just not seen, things from another person's point of view. So that I think has been a biggest learning for me is actually you know what I'm assuming is still is just is sort of to be on a fact-finding exercise rather than hold on to your facts so almost always be that these are assumptions and unless I validate them with somebody whether that's a from a business angle or a people angle unless I validate them their assumptions and so I've made you know, I've learned that there is always those kinds of um, assumptions you're making, and from and so that's made me more empathetic as a person, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm assuming this that you know there's a market for this or people have this problem, um, so this type of solution would actually work there, and actually challenging and questioning all of those kinds of things, and going out of the door and going outside your building, you know, hypothetically going outside your sort of work environment to then. Validate those assumptions is, I think, a massive um, exercise that I do a lot more of now. So, I found early on in my career those assumptions that you think that people want this or this is a a product that would meet a a need. And so, those kinds of things I've actually questioned. um, And that has just been a lack of empathy in some instances. So, I think that has been my biggest learning because I think if you're empathetic, a lot of our Problems and challenges we have, whether as individuals in our personal relationships and our uh, work relationships in whatever businesses we're building in any innovation program we're running. I think we have empathy. We actually um, de-risk whatever we're doing because we've um, we've embedded ourselves in the customers or we've walked a mile in the customer's shoes. Mm. So I think that's a big learning for me. And I've just kept um uh, you know, early on in my career, that was, I didn't know better, but definitely has been a learning to be more empathetic, be, uh, be aware.
0: Priti, I'm a bit curious to know what you think are some of the key skills you need to have to have an innovative mindset. I think the, the this,
1: um, this you know innovation is a is a um, it, there's lots of different connotations and meanings you can you can you can build you know you can take out of the the word innovation a few things i don't know if i have three for you but i'll try uh, this is um, be true. <laughs> but you know it, it's a uh, it's having a like i think empathy like i just said is is key for innovation uh, you know those are uh, being an empathetic person it feels like a soft skill that ah leaders don't have or need not have or you know business leaders or you know uh, people who are problem solvers actually that is a key key skill if you are you want to be great at innovation or you know creating things that people want and need you've got to really build on empathy I think the second thing is um you know, diversity of thought is, is, is really, really important. And I think that the, what that means is, um, are you exposing yourself to a variety of different scenarios, people, cultures and um, situations? That you can actually think broadly, and uh, you know we live in ex- an, in re- in amazing times that so we can actually do this. But how many of us actually go out and seek that diversity of thought? Um, and I say you know, and I specifically say diversity of thought, not just diversity. It's not just de- gender diversity or you know racial diversity. Um, etc but it's also how have different people thrived in different situations different upbringings different you know cities they've lived in all of that i think is such an important aspect and we don't think of that enough so you know when companies and businesses come to us with oh we want to innovate more but if you look at their team and it's all People who look different, but then they all have similar backgrounds. And so they, you know, they are thinking from the same sort of pathways or similar streams. So you're not going to have diverse thinking in that kind of room or situation. So unless you have um, perspectives of someone saying that, hey, uh, actually, you know, you know what you're thinking, I don't see that in my sort of circle of friends, or I don't see that, I see that here, or I don't. So if people actually sharing that insight, if you're all living in the same neighborhood, or same types of neighborhoods, have same sort of educational pathways, you know, have similar sort of, um, you know, demographic areas, or household incomes, you're just in a very similar bucket of um, uh, information. And so that needs to change and unless you have that. Um, and probably the third thing uh, that's important for innovation is psychological safety. I think, you know, when teams, even if you have diverse teams, what is the point if they're not ready to speak up or share or they don't have the psychological safety to actually express themselves and bring their all of the ideas or actually confidently share what they think. So that is another key aspect of building innovation within teams or organizations. Um, Empathy, empathy in teams, diversity of thought, psychological safety. And it seems like such soft, easy skills, but this is easy to build also, which is makes innovation accessible to anyone, right? So I'm excited about that. (laughs) I
0: couldn't agree with you more, but how do you build a Grow Mindset? And how do you open people up for um other perspectives without making them feel like you are attacking them personally? Because I think a lot of people tend to take things like that very personal rather than seeing it as an opportunity for, for their own growth and exploring their own own mindset and thoughts around things. That is a, that is a process, uh, you know, that is not a quick
1: fix. Um I think the the exposure to like you know, there are people who have that, right? And and somehow I think that's where my empathy comes in. So when I encounter people who do have a fixed mindset around things. Um there's a few reasons for that because they've not been exposed or they don't have that diverse circle to sort of tap They're in that echo chamber. So I sort of wear my empathy hat on and I understand that that's where they're coming from. So if I was in their position, maybe I wouldn't be thinking too differently from them. So I think the challenge there for teams is to, uh, create environments for healthy debates around these different topics. And again, that psychological safety comes in. It's, I'm not necessarily having anything personal against you, but this is just discussion that I'm bringing another perspective on this topic. And so it's, you know, it's a lot of the times when we actually challenge someone, people take that personally, because of that lack of psychological safety, or feeling attacked, or feeling, um, you know, targeted. And so that's that whole environment. So I think before you even tackle those those meaty topics or those sort of controversial or challenging topics, I think we've got to live, you know, first of all, build trust, build that psychological safety, build that, um, that kind of environment where, you know what? It's actually okay um, to share this, and it's fine. You're not going to get you know. you're It's not personal. So there's a lot of work sort of to be done. It's not something that's an on-off switch. You know, it's a. I think that fixed mindset to growth mindset. It's a. It's a journey by itself, and there's so many aspects to that, right? It's, it's internal. It's external. It's you know. There's um. It's a complex topic. Suzanne, so I. Fully expect you to ask me such tough, <laughs> meaty questions, but yeah, I think I think it's a journey, and uh, the best way to I think deal with that is um is actually empathy. <laughs> but you know, ironical, but yeah, it's just trying to, you know, see where they're coming from and uh, create an environment where. You know, they're comfortable actually
0: getting that our uh, different viewpoints. Mm. So the collaborative economy, with many different definitions, how would you describe it for someone who don't know anything about it?
1: You know, it's uh, it's it's really amazing. So you hear words and terminologies um, that are collaborative economy, sharing economy, on demand um peer-to-peer there are heaps of definitions around all of this and essentially what these are saying they're same same but different um so they're not all you know e- created equal those all of those words uh they all mean different things they all may have different connotations they have different um uh you know uh uh meanings um So when you sort of hear the word sharing economy, um, I often say this uh, uh, when I teach or run sessions around this is, um, what would your five-year-old define sharing as? And so if you think about that, you know, what, a, what does a five-year-old define, um, you def- you know, what is their definition of sharing? Um, and you think about that, you know, it's like, okay, can you can have my toy or you can have my book. And they're not necessarily expecting to get paid. They maybe expect you to share your toy with them back or your book they're not necessarily getting expecting to get paid or something else you know in that sort of form so sharing is an exchange um so that is sort of the purest definition there's but unfortunately there's not many platforms or real examples of sharing because you know if you kind of look at that definition there's The other platforms or things that we see or applications we see are not essentially sharing. So there's lots of different definitions around this. But the key is that all of these models leverage the power of the Internet and our connections, right? Because now we're all connected. We are online. We have, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, ways we can pay each other. We have um, trust scores and reputation we have. So it's easy for us to trust a perfectly um, perfect stranger online to engage in these interactions. So that's kind of what has led to the whole collaborative, I I like to call it collaborative economy because it's a much more umbrella sort of terminology for it. Um, But it's a fascinating model and you know the likes of Airbnb or Uber or uh, Facebook even these are all examples of these massive um, collaborative platforms where there are many people creating value essentially. Um, they all sort of um, stem from a very different business thinking you know the the likes of youtube or airbnb or uber have um developed what we call platform stack of you know technology communities data that people can actually um just connect and plug and play so you know you can use facebook the way you like you can start a business page you can start a group you can simply post your social updates you take that facebook core and do whatever you want and you have it you can define it to your use Similarly, YouTube, you know, I can take that YouTube core, I can start a food blogging channel or, um, you know, uh, or um, a channel for, uh, you know, how to create videos. So I could literally use that YouTube platform to do anything I want. So it's user centric. So I think this is this wave of business models that focus on that core. How can we Create the or enable anyone to create value, and that's the philosophy, behind some of these businesses, that um, just enable that, and that's such a powerful, powerful model, where no one's dictating, telling you what you, you know, what YouTube channel you create. So it's up to you to f- come and use that infrastructure to create that. In exchange. There's a revenue stream, you know. So YouTube earns revenue of ads, or you can earn revenue of ads as well. So that whole model is quite interesting, and that's what we call platform economics and um, you know platform economy, where the normal rules of business are not quite applicable. Um, and so it's a fascinating uh, piece of uh, of insight and work that you know businesses are leveraging for their own innovation efforts.
0: It is so interesting. I just read about about it the other day and how it's shifting and how like sites like gofundme and other are building um building on that shift that's happening yeah
1: um yeah there are examples of now um sites like patreon that is basically a crowdfunding site but it is a crowdfunding site for me as a person so we see, we've, we're seeing examples of creatives authors uh, amazing people who actually have great skill uh, And have great value that they can offer to society. But there is no market, there's no real way for them to get paid for that kind of job. Mm -hmm. So you can go and create a profile on one of these sites and actually say, hey, could you support me through a crowdfunding exercise? Could you support me so I can continue doing the things I love? which I'm not necessarily going to get paid for. I'm not going to be employed by anyone. But if you can support me with a dollar or two dollars and a whole lot of people do that, then I can actually create, I can... I can continue on my creative journey. I can support society in a way. I can give you back. So maybe if I'm an author, I can give you my my copy a copy of my book yeah. in return for that support. Yeah. Um, and so these are some amazing models emerging that are sort of um, breaking away from this traditional um, uh, definitions of work and uh, you know meaning how to be a meaningful contributor to society it doesn't have to be that you have to be in a full time job to do that.
0: Yes, or start
1: your own business. Or start exactly so there's all of those different avenues that are opening up which is exciting yeah Yeah.
0: do you have a quote that you live by actually many
1: um, what would I say um you know, I personally, um, I love the quote, you can't be what you can't see. And I just, I, I really like that for a number of reasons. One, it was sort of the foundation of the work um, we did with The Next Billion, um, you know, helping um, empowering women-led businesses. Um and the, the, the thing about that, and I keep sort of coming back to it, is because um, we're all inspired by the people we see, the people we interact with. And I think it's such a powerful way to say that, um, you know, not just – uh, pave the road for others who are coming behind you but also be a role model because you never know who else is sort of looking at you as an inspiration right I mean it's so it has this this quote has multiple sort of meanings for me um, you can't be what you can't see um, and I kind of I really go by that I'd love to um, be the role model uh, for my kids you know what what do I would what kind of human beings uh, would I like my kids to be when they grow up so I have to role model that uh but also you know role model for uh the the millions of um indian girls the millions of engineers the uh millions of uh migrants uh across the world or the millions of um you know mums so it's it's just that um sort of thing i keep thinking about is am i um you know, through my actions, through my deeds, um, being that role model for anyone. I don't know, whoever is, is whoever I cross my cross paths with. Um, but it's also a really good insight into, okay, yes, you know, what else do people need? How, what else um, can I do to leverage, to help women intake women in business?
0: So you have started a few businesses working as an engineer where there are a lot of men working in that field. What do you think we have to do to get more women into leadership positions?
1: You know, I think this is a real opportunity for women um, to be at the forefront of our economy. I I do think, like I mentioned at the start, right, this is the decade where we have to undo some of the things, our actions, the impacts of the actions that we've done in the last decade. And I think women have to play a key role in that undoing um, because of the very nature of how we work the way we um, do things so it's absolutely important that women have a seat at the table um and how how does that happen i think for me it is all about women helping other women i think it's it starts for me there it's like how are we enabling you know the women around us to um to reach the positions uh, we have been at or enable them to come sit, sit at the table. So it's almost like we have to enable that. It's not, uh, it's not so that um, I really think women have that responsibility and have the capability to do that. Uh, you know, many times, you know, we find ourselves as the sole woman on a team, on, a, on a, at a table, and then we're like, oh, that took us a lot to get there. So every other woman has to do the same thing. I think we need to just sort of get rid of that mentality and we need to give people a hand and a ladder or whatever they need um, to get out there. I think that's so important and just something we do at Tech Futures Lab. I think, you know, a key aspect of, um, you know, when you look at our page, we are women-centric. We almost have the opposite diversity problem. (laughs) And it's... um, it's funny, but it's, it's just the ethos, right? I mean, you, like, again, you can't be what you can't see. Yeah. You know, we run a Masters of Technological Futures program that has 60% women on most cohorts or more sometimes. And so that's not happened, I think, by accident. It's, uh, you know, on a course that's titled Master of Technological Futures, to have so many women actually come in and sign up is testament to the fact that they, they, they go on the website and they see the team and that's majority of women and that makes a big impact. So, you you know, you can't be what you can't see. I really think we, we need to set that role model. We need to bring, you know, women along with us. It's, uh, yeah, it's a collaborative game uh, and we all as women need to do a better job of um, helping other women um, reach positions of leaderships sit at the table, participate, and contribute. We are, This decade needs women more than anyone else. Yeah. And
0: what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self?
1: <laughs> um, be bold, I think. You know, it was uh, a journey for me, like almost, I, I guess, for anyone, right? I mean, um, at 20, I what was I doing? <laughs> I was just finishing. <laughs> I was in engineering, um, and I, I just... I felt just being bold, I would, I would, you know, advise anyone, like, what can you do that goes above and beyond what's expected of you? You know, like society, norms, educational institutions, jobs, everything has boxes of this is what you do when you're on this stage, or this is what you do when you're in a, a job, or this is what you do if you're studying. Um, and I spent, I think, too much time in that box, you know, um, I would say, be bold, what else can you do?
0: Thank you so much, Pretty, for taking the time to do this interview with me. I've really been enjoying our chat. Um, and if you want to find out m- more about what Tech Future Lab does and what kind of programs they're offering, uh, please visit techfutureslab.com. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelsson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, I met up with Kirsten. She is the co-founder and general manager for Hatch. An investment platform for the US market. She answered a tricky question on when you should invest. And we talked about some of the key factors for the success of Hatch for the last 18 months. Take along.